Welcome to Study Buddy, meditation philosophy for the heart of your practice. This is a live online discussion of ancient yogic texts amongst meditation practitioners in the Shambhavananda Yoga tradition. My name is Acharya Satyam, resident teacher at Konalani Yoga Ashram in Hawaii. And I welcome you with love and respect. I'm going to walk in. <laughs> Let's see. Oh, here we go. All right. How'd that go? Oh, good to see everyone. Cool. <laughs> Quick shout out. Um, wonderful to see you at Shoshone. Yogita, welcome back. Good to see you. Tejavan, welcome home and back. Chaitanya, wonderful to see you. He's up next week, y'all. Um, Galena, all right. Galena, she's in our level one teacher training. Welcome to the, welcome to the, it's not a show, it's a class. Uh, Max and Sithara representing from Chaitown. Amazing. Roseanne down the street. Wonderful to see you. Pujari. Cool. Good to see you, Pujari. Staying warm as always. Dharma. No kids present. All on his lonesome. Gita. Looking forward to your comment today if you want to. Chatila. Hair's down. He's relaxed. And Jayaram and Kazuo. Thank you for being here. We're going to start with some yoga as always. Um, let me just click on one extra light here. So it's a no mat yoga situation. Yep. And uh, we are going to start standing, though. I don't have to be able to see you. Um, don't worry about wiping up the water. It's okay. I don't have to be able to see you, but if you can see me, that's great. Uh, you can usually just do it off of the audio cues. It's going to be about 10 to 15 minutes. We good? Cool. All right. All right, we'll just start up in Tadasana. All right, so let's take a moment and rock forward to the balls, ball mounds of the feet and then back towards the heels a couple of times. And take your time with this and feel that moment when the body sort of has to catch you. You're not going fast, but there's still that moment when the body starts to sort of condense and catch you front and back. Cool. And then we'll just make a couple of easy circles, just feeling your feet, feeling the edges of the feet. As a bio often cues, try going just a little bit slower than you were a moment ago. Other direction. And then attempting to stand on both feet pretty equally, front and back of the feet. And then a little bounce. You'll be in the ball mounds of your feet for this, just a little bounce. You can close your eyes if it's okay for your balance. You can just soften your gaze. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4. And then shake 3, 2, 1. Roll shoulders a couple of times. All right. So we got the lower portion of the back. It's a concave curve. It's a lumbar spine. We've got the upper half of our back. It's a thoracic spine where your ribs are. It's a convex curve, different curves. Um, and so go ahead and take a moment to, to bring your hands to the pelvis and just feel as you rock forward and back in your pelvis, the effect that that has on that lower curve. 
when the pelvis tips forward, the curve deepens, right? And when it go, when your pelvis tips back, almost like if your pelvis was a bowl and it was pouring water back, the curve sort of flattens a little and you can have a hand there or whatever you need. And then take your time with those motions smaller and smaller until you feel like it's a healthy, supportive curve that's neither too deep or too flat. And you know, it's gonna change. It's gonna it's gonna be something you have to feel. We're not going for right or wrong here. And usually what I notice is when I find that supported curve, there's a little bit of tone in the front. I'm not just totally relaxed. There's a little bit of tone and it's very natural and it's it's very sort of like automatic. So from there, we're gonna keep that tone and um you're gonna do a couple of they're called controlled articulate articulating rotations of the shoulder cars and so from here the arm let's say your left arm is going to come forward and make a very slow circle up when it gets to the top the palm turns out i'm right at a fan so i got to step up and you're reaching back as you start reaching back watch that you don't splay the ribs and, and deepen that curve so to keep that tone on the front body take your time as you come back up the palms facing out Come all the way to the peak, the palm turns in, and then forward. Good. Revisit a couple of pelvic tilts. Finding that neutral middle space where there's a little bit of tone in the front body. And then other arm. So slow. You're going for like range of motion here. And when you get to the top, you got to turn the palm out. And then feel that cross line down to the opposite hip. Feel the tone, the sort of the X-shaped tone across the front body. Ah, nice. And that arm comes down. One more time, revisiting the pelvis, retoning in the front, natural. And then one last thing while we're here. Normally, you can grab your hands, right, for a chest expander, but I don't want to do that. I actually just want to inspire a little bit of lift through the heart. So you're just going to reach back and you can turn the palm slightly out and have that little bit of tone across the midsection. So you've got a little bit of tone here. It's keeping the lumbar spine honest. And then as you turn the palms out, that's helping you extend a little bit through your thoracic. These are two actions that are hard to do together, but they're very functional. And these two sensations together really contribute to functional alignment, being able to have length, at the upper half of the body and tone in the lower half of the torso. Great. From there, you can relax and sweep the arms forward, reaching the tailbone back. Let the gaze sort of drift down and low in front of you. And then as you come down with the arms, you're going to raise up onto your tiptoes and then start to make it into an easy flow for yourself. As the hips go back, there's a tendency to splay the ribs forward, losing that tone on the front body. Try to maintain a neutral pelvis as you go back. It doesn't mean the pelvis is flat to the floor. It means the pelvis is perpendicular to your spine. The pelvis is moving with your spine, not apart from it. Next time you're in that little chair pose, just take an extra breath there. Notice if there's any tension in the shoulders and try to relax the shoulders. Bring your awareness to the uh, lumbar again, that little bit of tone. You can play with your pelvis, tipping it a little here and there. 
whatever you feel like is a good middle space. And then the arms, just like we did before, they can actually go up, turn out, just like before, reaching back and inspiring that lift in your heart while still toning across the lower half of the spine on the midsection of the body, the abs. All right, we'll sweep the arms up one more time. This time we can come all the way up, interlace fingers if you like, or just reach up, try and inspire some length in the torso. And then just like we did before, hips sink back, arms relax forward, and spine lengthens over the legs. Lengthens as if you were trying to maintain space in the front of the body, even as it's folding. You can walk the feet a hair wider. Give yourself a nice sturdy base and let your weight shift from side to side. A little bit of pressure into the abdominals to support the spine here. Hands plant down, dropping knees to the floor and table. We're in a very similar position that we were before playing with the, the pelvis again. And so letting the pelvis spill forward, you feel that lordotic curve, that lumbar spine sort of deepening its curve. And as you tuck the tail under and the pelvis tilts back, you feel a rounding. Try to make the work all happen in the lower half of your spine. So you're really feeling an awareness and a toning there. The next time you pull the abdominals in and you're rounding that lower half of the spine up towards the ceiling, pause for a moment. Maintain that abdominal tone as you start to tilt the pelvis towards neutral. This is not easy. Again, it's highly functional though. It's really a great movement to be able to feel happening. So try it again. You're going to round the lower back without really too much rounding in the upper back. I know that's hard, but just try to bring it all to the lower back. Keep that tone as you bring the pelvis to what you feel like is neutral. Welcome to check that with your hand. And then from there, let the heart peak forward a hair. That's that same idea. We're bringing a little bit of length to the upper back, to the thoracic spine. This area gets so rounded over throughout our day at desks, at phones, driving. It's just endless. And then let the neck find neutral. Notice that when you lift the heart, your neck might lift up. It's totally natural, but it's unnecessary. Shifting weight onto your left hand a little bit. Unweight the left knee. Let that knee come down. It's barely left the floor. Shift weight onto the right hand and unweight the right knee. And then we'll go back to table. As you glide the left leg back, your weight will naturally reside in your left hand and your right knee. Sort of a diagonal, that X that we were talking about earlier across the midsection. And from there, you can allow the right arm to slowly fan up and out to the side, inspiring just the beginning of a twist, just the beginning of a twist while you're maintaining that abdominal tone. And then coming back down the table, knee drifts back into table, right leg glides back. Pay attention to your pelvis. You might have to do little micro adjustments to feel supportive. The left hand starts to slowly glide out laterally. 
feel the work that it takes to maintain stability, inspire just a hair of twist. And then we're coming back down the table. Glide knee in. Good. Pausing for a moment. Bhaktasana. Breathe into the lower back. If, if possible, it's sort of a neglected space of awareness for our breath. And it's actually, proprioceptively speaking, a lot of people can't feel their low back. They really don't feel much back there. And that, studies have shown, leads to injury. So breathing into your low back can bring more awareness there from the inside out. And according to studies, can literally itself be a great preventer of low back injury. From here, you're going to press down into the shins to roll yourself up. As you press down, you can really articulate that roll up. We can do a couple more of those controlled shoulder articulations. One arm can reach forward, right where it's at. Keep the other hand sort of on your abdominals to keep a uh, tone there. Turn palm out, reaching back, feeling that lift in the heart as you keep that, that slight tone across the midsection. Take your time coming back up. Other arm when you're ready, no rush. This is your time. These articulations of the shoulder can sort of help teach you how to keep that heart lifted and have tone in the midsection at the same time. Real boost to your posture. And because we'll be sitting here in a moment, um, a little bit for the hips, uh, hands can plant back down in front of you, glide your right knee forward. I'll scoot back for the camera. And left leg reaches back. It looks like pigeon. It is pigeon, but you know I've got some cues for you. So just take your time here. Um, gently, uh, sort of isometrically draw the legs towards each other. That should inspire tone of the, of the pelvic floor and up through the midsection and lift your heart naturally. It provides buoyancy. From there, swiveling the shin where it can muscularly swivel, not where your hand could put it. Drawing the legs together once more. The fingertips can usually provide that nice little lift. Uh, sometimes, though, your hips feel pretty strong and stable, and you'll actually lift away from the floor. But that's going to be up to you. The fingertips are there if you want them. Again, bring your attention back to the pelvis. Here, it's definitely tilting forward, but there's still a relationship between your pelvis and your spine. They're not disconnected. Slowly fanning the uh, spine back down parallel to the floor. Draw the knee back a little bit. Lengthen that back leg away from the floor. So we're in like a quarter of a plank. And then uh, from this quarter plank, I call this sort of weightless plank, where all you do is lift that knee off the floor a centimeter. Feel all that work in the midsection. Then we'll tuck our toes under. Let the hips raise up and back for a staggered leg dog. Come back down to the knee. Exchange knees. Other leg reaches back. We're going to wrap it up here with uh, Ekapada Kapatasana, other side. Back knee relaxes on the floor. Fingertips support you. 
Legs draw together a little bit, create some tone, swivel the front shin. Again, muscularly, don't sort of move it with your hand. And then again, drawing the legs together isometrically, which means like you're sort of wrinkling the mat, so to speak, but there is no mat and there is no wrinkle. Draw your awareness down to the pelvis, feel the relationship from the pelvis through the midsection, through your spine, all the way up to your heart. And finishing like we did the last time, we'll bring the hands forward, unswiveling the shin, drawing the knee back a little bit, lifting back knee, invisible sort of weightless plank as the knee just lifts a hair, tuck toes, staggered dog. Cool. And then from there, both feet can come forward. Little tuck of the tail, pressing down through the feet, rolling spine up slowly. When you get to the top, roll the shoulders back a couple times. And as always, just take the last minute for yourself, any kind of posture that would feel good. As you start to feel ready, you can find your seat as we transition to meditation. Thanks for this. Oh, good. So guess what? Your pelvis is still connected to your spine, even right now. Um, so notice the relationship between your pelvis and your spine as you sit. You can tilt the pelvis a couple times. Try to find, ooh, where is that middle space where there's support and stability? And from there, you might feel that that length in the from the heart. Gabriel, Henry, I think Henry, I saw him, or maybe not. Maybe just Gabriel. Yeah, there he is. Thanks for being here. You too. Okay, so last week we worked with Darren and Nine. Uh, this was. There was some specific meditation practices associated with the dharana that we can dive into. I'd also like to use this time as a very easy review space so that we're doing both reviewing and meditating together. That leaves us the last portion of class for discussion. Um, so dharana nine is this. I'm going to read it. We're going to jump right in and then we'll pull it back apart. <laughs> So here we go. Ready? From your seat. Imagine the five colored circles of the peacock tail to be your five senses in illimitable space. 
Imagine the five colored circles of the peacock tail to be your five senses in illimitable space. Now let their beauty melt within. Let their beauty melt within. For the sake of this portion of the meditation, you can quite literally imagine or just take in the scene that you're in, imagining this beautiful scene, imagining this beautiful space, sounds, whatever it might be, just appreciating the beauty. It literally could be the shrine in front of you. And as a way of reaching through the object to the source of it within us. We're allowing that beauty to melt within. Not pushing it away, not pulling it in, but letting it melt inwards. For the second half of the dharana, you're welcome to gaze away from the screen at something on your shrine or a wall, or you could use the screen, but you'll probably have your eyes open for this portion. You can try it. Similarly, at any point in space or on a wall, until the point dissolves, So before we were imagining, but now we can use our literal space that we're in and let that space melt within until the object in front of us dissolves. Is it possible?
Similarly, at any point in space or on a wall until the point dissolves, then your wish for another comes true. as this sensation dissolves, as something shifts from just seeing the object to experiencing what might be behind it, your own awareness, then your wish for another comes true. As we surrender the object, do we lose it or do we gain something more profound? You're welcome to sustain this work that you're doing or to move in your seat. But I wanted to read Swami Lakshmanju's um, meditation instruction on the starna from the state that you're in. He says, you must concentrate simultaneously on the void while experiencing each of the five senses. It is nothing, it is only a void and nothing else, the senses. Then you have to forcibly concentrate that these are nothing, that these objects are nothing. What I see, what appears to me is nothing. What I hear is nothing. What I touch and what I get as a sensation of smell, it is nothing, it is only sunya. It is only seeing as energy. So just a note there, the nothing is referring to that energy. Just seeing only, hearing only, not to analyze that. There it ends. And when I feel smelling, there ends that. At the time of that sensation of smelling, you must end it there. You must not go further. You must not go beyond that so that you will avoid being entangled in the world of the senses.
You don't have to be confused. It's intuitive. You know exactly probably what we're talking about. You just maybe understand it in your own way. It's simply the ability to have sounds and sensations around you and to observe them without interacting, without making a story out of it, as Gita was saying last week. This could be for anything. It could even be for the way you feel. Maybe you feel agitated, tired. Maybe you feel excited. You can observe that too. When Swami Lakshmanju says it's nothing, he's not rejecting. I think he's just trying to help us relate to these objects in a different way. Someone once asked Nityananda about all the prasad, Bhagavan Nityananda, about all the prasad he received every day. Thousands of people bringing prasad every day. All these things, these objects, lots of things that could be distracting. And Nityananda responded, It's all just dust. Take just a moment to be in Nityananda's experience. It's not that you don't care about your life and your world. It's just you're relating to them differently. You're seeing them through a different lens. Let yourself fully exhale. Don't force it, but just let yourself fully exhale. And feel that space of emptiness at the bottom of your exhale. And try to just sort of be there for a moment before the breath draws back in. Try to be in that space of quote-unquote nothing.
And maybe you breathe in a little bit lighter than normal. Maybe even a little bit, just a little bit less. That's not overwhelming. And you can, you can sort of stay in touch with that feeling of less. And as you start to detach a little bit from the everyday rhythm, it might be easier to feel your heart. As soon as you release that grip externally, even just a little, there's that much more energy to feel the heart. As Jaideva Singh concludes in, in this dharana, from the point of view of the human mind, Shiva is most void. From the point of view of reality, though, Shiva is most full, for Shiva is the source of all manifestation. As you detach, do you have less or do you get something more? Let your attention draw towards the heart for our last few minutes of meditation. Feel that exhale drawing you towards this quote-unquote nothing void space. Let the inhale sort of nourish you. Take the last minute or so to, to just notice if there's more awareness in your heart. 
if you can sense a subtle shifting of the percentages. And if the eyes are closed, you can let them flutter open. Everybody's welcome to move a little bit in their seat, roll spine, shoulders, etc. And so we'll take the next three minutes to uh, free write to journal about this Dharna for you, uh, about your experience of it. You know, some questions that could inspire your your journaling. Um, are something as simple as like, what is the, what is this concept of the void? You know, what is meant by that? What is this thing that's beyond the void? Is it, does that mean out there? Or does that mean the heart to you? What is your relationship to that? Did your wish for another come true, etc. So take your time. So three minutes or so, and then we're going to share. tricks with free writing is to not self-edit and to try to let yourself write continuously. I know that can be hard, but it does help break you out of your, your head. about a minute left. For the last 30 seconds or so, if you want to reread what you wrote, 
underlined keyword or phrase, and eventually throw a keyword or phrase into the chat box to get our discussion started. By the have a word. Yeah, one. She will. Jamie, do you have a word? Okay. All right, let's hear some words. Continuous, vast, quiet, open, peaceful, space for balance, melt. Empty, conscious void, doorways, where the exhale and inhale meet is the void probably, or maybe it's where the exhale and exhale meet. Floating, moments of contentment, withdraw from familiar. Oh, I missed one. Move through, is that the one? Thank you. Finding space and easy, focus, stable. All right, well, let's not waste any time here. Um, can I get a volunteer? And it could be someone in this room. Uh, there's a mic right there. Um, to elaborate on their, on their key point, anything they might have experienced during the last week or during this meditation or what they wrote. Time is precious, folks. Go for it. Okay, Yogita. First, I want to say that I, um, I think the, the yoga did help. You know, I'm not... I'm not really a yoga person. And sometimes when you say we're going to do yoga, I say, oh, no. <laughs> but uh, but it did. It, it, did it, it Just a few minutes, it does help. Yeah. Um, this, to me, I mean, I, I haven't been here, so, but the void is a hard, hard concept. And the only way that I feel that I can feel the void at all, and I guess it is the inhale and then the exhale, but it's that point that's, and it just lasts a few seconds sometimes. Um, but that's the um, way I feel it now. It's Absolutely. Yeah, honestly, we don't, 
I don't remember working with the void much, you know, in our practices and the, the teachings that I've, I've only heard on it in our tradition was simply what Swami Muktananda told Babaji that beyond the void is Shiva, you know, so we don't have a ton of, of work on that, but here it is in the Dharana. And so, yeah, the, um, the teaching from Lakshmanju was one way of helping us interpret that concept where it's like, see the image, the object, and just be like, it's nothing. And then Paul Reps had another take on it where he was saying, melt into the experience and that will take you to this space too um and then the breath and is probably the most practical um space that you're talking about uh, uh and they're all they're all ways in but what that experience you know is worth like why are we going after it i think that's an interesting question too you know what is your uh, why is it, what feels valuable about touching the void to you, Yogita? Well, I quit thinking and I quit feeling. And for a moment, there's a, a nothingness. And, and and I feel my heart opening more. And um, yeah. Perfect. It's like I feel more of a vastness. I have a hard time getting away from my body <laughs> but i do at that moment i do have a sense of vastness nice anyone else want to chime in on their experience or why it's why they found find it valuable to encounter to touch this space that we are calling the void in this discussion i'm really curious gita and then sathara Uh, this uh, dharna has been uh, flowing through my mind since last week, making trying to make sense of it. And uh, I just happened on a little podcast that, uh, to me, explained the five colored circles of the peacock tail to be our five senses. And now our five senses are really how we connect with the world. But in this little podcast, they were talking about how our we hold in our bodies all of our experiences and the, all of the experiences, whether they're conscious or not, um, they hold our shape. And if the easy way to explain that, or we see that always in people who look frowny all the time, you can just see their lips turned down and they've kind of concretized their face. So, um, or you see people whose shoulders are up around their ears, feel like they're protecting their heart. So that made sense to me about the the five senses and the peacock. And if we can keep in our our school's terms, it's surrender. But if we keep letting go of all of that, there is space not only to, from a physical point of view, to reconstruct our body, to have more space, to be stronger, but we're rewiring our nervous system as well. Plus, there is that, um, I don't know, openness. I, I really think that's how, in my opinion, my naive opinion, that's probably how we keep moving into the more subtle fields. So um, 
is that that letting go and uh, melting whatever word you want to use for surrender. Anyway, mm -hmm. that's what I that's my opinion today. It may change a week from now, but yeah, amazing. You know, um, I really feel like you touched on a, a pretty subtle aspect of this teaching. Um, if you all remember uh, in, in the overview of the, the tattvas, and for anybody who wasn't here last week, just enjoy this for what it is, you know, um, but it's all good. But the tattvas described to us that um, every object we encounter, simul uh, this, that's, this is probably not going to really help you all much. <laughs> this image but every object you encounter when you encounter the object you're drawn out into the object but at that very moment the 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 power of seeing the power from which you're actually viewing the object is like activated in the same moment and so we're always drawn to this object but there's something happening in us simultaneously and for the purpose of our discussion uh, and, and to my understanding, uh, to the purpose of the discussion in the in the introduction of Kashmir Shaivism, the idea is that you, we've all heard this term, you create your own reality. And I'm looking around like, I didn't create this stuff that I'm looking at around me. Well, it's like, no, but you are responding to these objects in a very specific way that is literally creating your experience of reality. And... um. And so, as Abaya often teaches in yoga, which, you know, which has been, I feel like, years in the making, because this is something you can just say, but I feel like it's taken years to really try. It, she'll often say, like, um, if you're not enjoying how you're doing this posture now, change the way you're doing it so you do. And it really puts the power in your hands. It's saying... If this isn't, if this doesn't feel good, move in a way that does, because as she'll often say, if you aren't enjoying what you're doing in this posture now, it's not like you're going to magically arrive at a destination of joy. You're going to sort of reap the fruits of those seeds that you're having right now that you're planting. And so it's this really subtle thing where we are perpetuating our reality constantly and it's really hard to change that but we can through surrender not by rejecting the objects but by learning how to interact with them while maintaining inner awareness so that you can subtly start to change those perpetual pattern responses and so in this chapter it's talked about in the sense of like the void where it's just saying like surrender, like be inside in this space while you interact with these objects. And that opens the door to change. So Gita, thank you for sort of touching on uh, sort of that. It feels like that next layer of like this Dharna in action, like this Dharna, how, what, what it's doing. Um, thank you for opening that up. Any questions, comments, responses to that? moment you guys have all heard you create your own reality right like we've all heard that phrase and i personally to be honest i feel like i've never really known what to do with it and these kind of moments go oh i think i'm starting to sort of see 
how that's true and how I can participate in that. So I don't know if that landed for any of you. Oh, yes, yeah, Sithara had a comment before. I just didn't know if it was about this. So I wanted to give this a little space. Cool. Okay, well, we'll let that dissolve. And Sithara, if you'd like to jump in. I think it's related to both what Kisa and Hold on, let me turn you up real quick. Saying, uh, sorry, <laughs> I can talk louder too. Okay. Um, I think it's related to both what Gita and you were saying. And I think that is that our perceptions kind of turn into patterns and samskaras. And for me, that connection or really meditating on that experience of the void is kind of that void creates the space to dissolve those perceptions and behaviors and all of those things right like we get so engulfed in them that they feel so big and that space is what kind of melts them away thank you i feel like you're, you're really coming from a very informed perspective because of the work that you do trying to um, I don't, I wouldn't know exactly how to phrase the work that you do, but I know that you work, it, would you say, is it with trauma related aspects? It's just therapy related social work. Um, and so, yeah, trying to help people feel like any space between them and their challenge is this massive accomplishment, like any space. And as soon as there's space, there's, it's like instant healing, like the space is healing. Like literally, if you can find some space between you, it's like the healing is, is already begun. And, uh, you know, people, we have a lot of ways of doing that. Babaji said in, in funny ways, like growing up, people would say, count to 10 before you respond if you're feeling agitated. And he, he's often said like, and that was good advice. You know, and I think we've all also done, you recognize like, whoa, I am really feeling right here. Like, I am not going to respond to this text right now. I'm just going to give it some space. It's just like, like I, like that in and of itself is beneficial. So great. See, we all, the, the void is not such an abstract thing. It's, it's very practical. And I think it's thing it's a, we're, we are using it in terms of surrender. We're using it practically in terms of just giving ourselves space, so to speak. These are easy ways to relate to the void. It's such a funny term. I'm so abstract. Oh, we have a comment, but you got to just grab that mic. I don't have the crowd cam set up That's today. Okay. So Can you guys hear, hear me? Disembodied, Abaya? Okay. Hi, it's so nice to uh, see so many people that haven't been here in a while, um, even though you can't really see yeah, me. Awesome. <laughs> here, there you go. There you go. <laughs> um, I'm going to try to put this into words. It's not really about the void, but what was kind of special for me about this dharna is the idea or the experience that our senses in themselves are beautiful. Like, I, I feel like before this, it was kind of like, oh, my senses are neutral. They might sense something that's beautiful or not beautiful, accept, reject, yada, yada, yada. But this darna made me feel like 
whoa, like my perception in itself is beautiful and magical. Whether I'm perceived, like right now I'm looking at a stool, a really boring, plain here it is this stool you've seen it before it's the archetype of a stool but if I can be inspired by the dharana and go into that that space where my senses and my observation like separating from my senses are beautiful within themselves the stool becomes a lot more alive you know uh so anyway I was just enjoying and I feel like it goes to you create your own reality like if you're like wow my senses are magical in themselves and I don't need this certain stimuli to experience beauty Hmm. um it's pretty liberating so that's all nice I see some nods in the room and maybe a few online um oops i guess i got to do the camera again but um yeah thank you Baya. i mean oh yeah dharma um go for it do you want to comment on that um it came up for me while i was speaking but it's not directly related but the thought was that the void is full when it talked about in reality with the capital R. Right. I can pull that up. Oh, let's see. Go ahead. That it's full of potentiality because there's nothing that's happened. So anything can happen in the moment. Something happens that potentiality is gone. So the only place where all potential exists is in the void. And perhaps that's why, like as Sithara was sort of pointing towards uh, why it does provide that relief, you know, that space and that, and sort of how we we came to that idea of, of even like healing. Yeah, I mean, we go to Satsang with Babaji, and I mean, everybody here can can attest to like, you go to Satsang, you don't appear to have done anything in particular to resolve your challenges in life. And then after Satsang, you feel really good. Like, really, really good. I mean, not always, but a lot of the time. And you're just like, what? You know, you can sometimes see yourself being like giddy energy or you're just like, I want to go for a run. Like you just feel like I got energy. I was tired before. It's like, how is that possible? You know, so like what Dharma's alluding to that, that source, that source of all potential, you tapped into it. Oh boy, we went over time. Um, also, I just wanted to say that I really appreciated uh, Abaya's comment because I think that's sort of an overlooked part of this Dharma is is the beauty and the melting. Uh, I really was grateful for Paul Rep sort of, re- you know, reaching in and, and making sure that that was a way that we could relate to this experience, that it's not just about like cold space void, that it was like, no, very rich, very full, you know, and in a sense of like literally melting 
which is probably one of the coolest experiences when it comes to beauty to melt into it. Um, so I highly recommend sort of playing with that if you have time. I don't know if everybody got a chance to download and print out that pocket edition. Um, it could be fun if you want to work with this a little bit longer. It's on the Facebook Song of Friends post. Um, but other than that, you know, that this sort of the time we have, I, I apologize, it goes so quickly. Uh, it really, really flew by. Um, but hopefully everybody had a good time. Thank you so much for making this uh, such a juicy and amazing class together. Namaste. Please tune in next week. Chaitanya is going to be guiding us in another storytelling uh, adventure. Uh, we'll have some kirtan and meditation. It's the it's a, the full package. Um, and any other announcements? Our wisdom training is starting um it's a once a week online experience um it's uh basically learning the sacred geometry of your movement uh front back side spirals everything you can imagine with that thanks again everyone for being here